you know, I'm 19 years old. I can barely move. Uh, I can't talk. And my leg's gone. Um, so I pretty much was like, my life is like over. Um, and I was mad because I didn't have a choice in this. Like no one asked me if that's what I would have chosen. Um, and I didn't know amputees at the time. Like this is 14, almost 15 years ago. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, amputees weren't really in the media. You couldn't see them like you see them now. So I was like, yeah, I, I can't do anything anymore. I can't, I, I didn't even know if I could walk again or anything um, because of, you know, of how I was at that moment. So I was definitely devastated. That was Danny Burt, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 122. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, that's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I can't tell you how glad I am that you're listening in today, and I want to take a minute right here at the top of the show to quickly share some appreciation, give out a little thank you. Thank you for listening to this show. I know there's tons of podcasts out there. Thank you for valuing honest conversations. Thank you for being open to hearing from guests whose lived experiences and opinions might be different from your own. That's huge, and that's what we do here. And thanks for the more tangible stuff as well, for taking two minutes or less probably to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Seriously, it's just huge help in spreading the word and helping new people find us. So I really appreciate you taking a second to do that. And thank you, thank you so much for supporting and funding the show on Patreon. This is truly a community-funded podcast now, which means that we have complete freedom to come together with more honesty than ever before, and I am so grateful for that. I have a really wonderful guest to introduce you to today, but first, in case you're new to this show, I'd love to quickly explain what it is that we do here. So at the heart of it, my guests and I are really committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic bullet 10-day six-step life hack plans for anything. (laughs) As a recovering self-help junkie myself, I am totally over that approach. And my guess is that maybe you are too. Maybe that's even what brought you here. So no, that's not what this show's about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and tons of others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics. We talk about work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. It's definitely an adult podcast that covers adult subjects, which means that we do often use adult language, so there's your little language warning, Um, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way, even when it's uncomfortable, and sometimes it is. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener-funded, made possible by awesome, regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. The show is and always will be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. You've probably heard me say this before, but I really do believe that where we spend our money, how we spend our money, that's a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And when you help fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. So when you support this show, you're saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. 
This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And as a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, which is super fun. My weekly behind the scenes email series where I share my real life in real time. It's probably, I mean, I'm, I'm vulnerable on the show for sure, but the weekly emails are where I share a lot of my real life as it's happening. Um, and you'll also be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live events and other upcoming events in the future. There are three different funding levels that you can see over on Patreon. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. Everything that I just mentioned is at the $8 level. Um, up at the $25 level, we do live group Google Hangouts. And oh my gosh, those are so much fun. But again, you can check all that out over on Patreon. So one more time, it's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Dr. Danny Burt. Danny is a world adaptive surfing champion, doctor of physical therapy, and above knee amputee. In 2004, Danny was in a motorcycle crash that put her in a coma for 45 days. The toughest time in her life was when she woke up from her coma, feeling hopeless, lost, confused, hurt. She thought her life was over. Today, she works as a doctor of physical therapy at Sharp Memorial Hospital, the same hospital where she was a patient. She chose that career path because she wants to be there for patients after they go through the darkest moments in their life to show them what's possible. Danny is also the first known female above knee amputee surfer in the world, and she's been competing against male competitors since 2010. In 2017, Danny competed in an all women's division for the first time in the history of adaptive surfing, and she was crowned the first ever women's world adaptive surfing champion at the ISA World Adaptive Surfing Championships. In this episode, Danny shares openly and honestly about her motorcycle crash, what happened, how it felt to wake up from a coma and learn that she'd lost a leg, and the process of physical and emotional recovery that happened from there. She tells the story of how she got into surfing and the evolution from her very first time on a surfboard to becoming a world champion. We talk about her training, the mental side of peak performance, her current goals, overcoming self-doubt, how she met her wife, and so much more. I absolutely loved getting to know Danny and hearing her stories, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now totally obsessed with it right now. Um, I'm pretty obsessed with, uh, I want to get more into camping right now. So, uh, I'm pretty obsessed with that, uh, as far as getting equipment and I turned my hatchback, my car into a little camper. So I'm just, uh, into that right now and being outdoors more. That's exciting. That's something I can definitely relate to. The last couple of years, I have become a relatively unlikely uh, long-distance hiker. It was not something I was ever into when I was a kid, and now I can't get enough of it. So I love when I hear other people are like, yeah, I want to do more camping. I want to go outside. I'm like, do it, do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Is there is it something you grew up doing? I did not. Um, when I grew up, I probably went camping once, I guess. Uh, and I like getting into camping and hiking now, especially hiking, because I as far as walking, I, I used to not be a very big fan of that, especially after I lost my leg. So um, it's nice to be at the point in my life where I enjoy doing it and um, I want to get out there and walk more and hike. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anywhere in particular that you'd love to go? 
Oh, everywhere. Yeah. Um, no, big, no big deal. Just every single place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately, ultimately where I like to go is uh, if there's a surf break, so I can also go surfing. Yeah. Hiking and surfing. That's, I can't say that I've ever been surfing, but we're going to talk about it a lot. I'm always excited to talk to people where I, no matter how much I read about their experience or what they've done, I can't relate to it at all. And I'm so curious and have so many questions. So I'm excited <laughs> to, to talk to about all that. Um, but let's see, what do I want? I want you to drop me into your real life. Tell me how you spent the first hour of your day today. What did that look like? Uh, I slept in because unfortunately the surf wasn't very good. So uh, it was nice to sleep in. And then I ended up going to my uh, prosthetic company to uh, fix some things with my leg. And then I went to the library and got a library card. Oh, that's fun. I know uh, this sounds silly maybe, but it's only in the last like five years that I've really started taking advantage of the library. Once I found out that I could uh, check out books from the library onto my Kindle, it was like a complete game changer. Oh, wow. I need to get a Kindle. Yeah, it's if you read a lot, I was really resistant to it for a while because I love books. And I thought, you know, I don't want this electronic thing. But oh, my gosh, it makes everything. So I I read a ton. And it makes it so much easier for me. And then I don't, you know, it winds up being cheaper and whatever use the library. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Kindle. Mm. So I was telling you this before we started recording, but I was first introduced to you through Melanin Basecamp, whose founder, Danielle Williams, was a guest a few seasons ago. And you were on their Instagram in February. I think it was Valentine's weekend when they were posting a roundup of outdoor power couples. You and your wife were featured. And I would love to hear the story of how you two met. Uh, me and my wife, how mm-hmm. we met? Uh, yeah. So let's see. Uh during undergrad at San Diego State University, we were both um, going for the same major, uh, kinesiology, but I was uh, pre-physical therapy, and then she was fitness and nutrition. So we shared a couple classes, and during that time, um, I saw her, and I had my little crush on her, but uh, crushing from afar, because I was in my own relationship, and she was in hers. Um, And then uh, we were graduating um, at the same time, Uh, But the way San Diego State University works is that you graduate in December and then you come back to walk in May. Uh, So during December, she was leaving and we had both uh, went our separate ways with the people that we were dating at the time. Um, But seeing her leave, I was like, oh, man, I'm probably never going to see her again. Uh, And then when it got closer to May, when she was going to come back uh, to San Diego to walk during graduation, she had contacted me. Um, just to say hi and that she wanted to hang out while she was here with some friends. Um, and she ended up mentioning, uh, that she's also gay. So I was like, score. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is exciting. So I was like, yeah, definitely we'll hang out. And, uh, uh, we hung out for that weekend and we got along and that was it. That was it. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's funny to hear you describe like, and I was crushing from afar. I think that's a very relatable experience. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows what that's like. And you're like, well, I'm never going to see them again. So maybe I should just go for it. Or yeah, definitely. Um, your wedding pictures are lovely. What, did you have a favorite part of your wedding or a favorite thing that you guys did? Oh, man. It was just a great week. So we made it like a week kind of thing. Uh, so I went on uh, my bachelorette down in uh, Mexico at a surf break that I really like with um, my really close friends. So being down there for two days and unwinding, that was a really great experience. And then when I came back, uh, we had all gotten a big Airbnb for like the family. So to be able to see the family there and throw like, um, 
uh, welcome dinner for everybody for the wedding. That was really nice because we got we got to see everybody for like two days. So when the actual wedding came around, like there wasn't really that much pressure to like make sure you connected with everybody because we already connected. Um, and then just in general for the wedding, it was just, you know, this huge, amazing party. Uh, and it's overlooking like one of my favorite surf breaks. And um, it was just, all of it was just such a beautiful time to be able to dance with everybody and uh, drink and laugh. And I don't know, the whole thing was very touching. Mm-hmm. That sounds lovely. My husband and I eloped, which was definitely the right choice for us. But I'm always, I always love hearing, you know, other people who did things differently, what their experience was like. So it's nice to get like a I little just, window. Just, I'm totally down for that too. Cause I was, I was more leaning for that. I mean, I definitely enjoyed the wedding and the ceremony and seeing everybody, but it is very expensive. Um, and I'm very frugal. So yeah, it was definitely, it was partially a money decision for us. And it was partially, I don't really love being the center of attention. I have sort of mixed feelings about wedding stuff in general. And I don't know, every time we started thinking about planning something, I just felt really stressed out. And our rule became anything that feels stressful for more than 15 minutes is out. And then we were like, oh, well, we have to elope because literally everything's stressful. <laughs> I like that agreement. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I don't know if that's practical in other areas, but uh, it worked for us. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so you live in San Diego now, right? I do. But that's not where you're from, I'm guessing, based on, I can hear it in your accent. Are you from the East Coast? I am. I'm from Jersey. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I'm from New York. And I was like, that sounds like oh, Jersey. Right um, yeah, it's funny. Um, when did you move to San Diego? Uh, when did I move? I moved when I was 18. So that was uh, 2003, um, right after gradu- uh, graduating high school. What brought you out there? Um, what brought me out here to San Diego? Yeah. Well, so I had a pretty, I had a pretty rough, um, childhood, I guess. Um, and, uh, uh, pretty rough family situation. And I knew, I knew if I stayed, um, there would be issues I needed to, I knew I needed to travel and get away and be independent and separate myself from what was going on in my home life. Um, and, you know, in Jersey, I grew up by the beach. So I knew I had to be by the water no matter what. And I've never been to the West Coast. So I was like, San Diego sounds nice. And I knew one person out here. So I was like, if I get into trouble, I know that one person. Um, So and then I did get into trouble. But (laughs) so yeah, that's what brought me out here. Yeah, you you landed in a pretty beautiful place. My parents live in Oceanside. So yeah, nice. Lots lots of nice weather. And yeah, there's worse places to choose for sure. Yeah, and a lot of good surf. So yeah, definitely nice. So tell me the story of how surfing came into your life. You mentioned obviously living by the beach when you were younger, but is that something that you used to do as a kid? No, I never surfed um, growing up. So ever since I was a little thing, like I don't even know how old I was. I can't even remember, but I, I grew up skateboarding and uh, bodyboarding. Uh, so bodyboarding or boogie boarding, but I call it bodyboarding. Um, so I grew up doing that. Uh, like being in the ocean was home for me. Um, I just never ended up getting a surfboard cause I didn't have the money to get one and whatever. It just, it just wasn't something that I did. Um, so, you know, I had that, board knowledge, like stand up, uh, skateboarding. I already had that board knowledge and I also had wave knowledge and being in the ocean and, um, understanding all of that. So that crossed over to surfing, uh, pretty easily. 
Yeah, I feel like those are, I mean, they're definitely not skills that I have. Like, I, I've, have I ever skateboarded? Now I'm thinking about that. I feel like, no, it's just funny. I guess it's a thing that a lot of people have done that I have not done. Never been surfing, never, apparently I don't like to balance on things. <laughs> but yeah, I can imagine how that would translate for sure. Yeah, definitely. So do you remember the very first time that you went surfing? Uh, I do. So let's see. Um, I end up having my motorcycle crash in uh, 2004. So about four years after, uh, my crash, that's when I started surfing. Um, and the first time I went in, it was without, um, uh, leg on, uh, without a prosthesis. I'm an above knee amputee on the right side. Um, so yeah, there wasn't any, you know, surf prosthesis out there. Um, so I just took it off and ended up going out, uh, with some friends. So uh, pretty much I got into surfing because my friends were surfing, uh, that I had here in San Diego. Um, and, uh, I had started the bodyboard a little bit, but I've hurt my left ankle so many times skateboarding that it was difficult to like hop in and just use a fin on one ankle and whatnot. So they're like, Hey, why don't you try surfing? So I was like, okay, cool. So they like helped me to the water. Um, and it was just an amazing feeling and something that I felt like, uh, was doable. So that's when, um, I ended up going back to my prosthetist being like, I want to like design a surf leg. So I'm able to walk into the water without hopping or having someone else carry my board or anything like that. And I want to try stand up surfing. Um, so that's how that started. And we ended up taking a bunch of my old, um, old prosthetic parts and then putting th- them together, um, through trial and error, we tried some different, um, configurations and then, uh, uh, one of them worked and, you know, that was it. I was able to stand up and, uh, I completely knew it was possible at that time. And then here I am. Mm, Okay. There's so much in there that, that we can dig into. So going back, you mentioned the motorcycle accident. Can you tell the story of what happened, whatever you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, 2004, it was like a regular Sunday ride. Um, but I was going on, Mount Palomar. It's a, it's a road, it's a mountain that I've never been on before. Uh, so as we were coming home, I didn't have anybody on the back of my motorcycle. I was driving my Harley. Um, as we were coming home, uh, I was on a straightaway on the mountain and I saw a turn coming up and there was no sign for the turn. So I was like, Oh, it's, you know, it's a, it's going to be a wide turn. Um, when I hit it, it wasn't, it turned into like a 180 S turn. Uh, and you know, at that moment you're like, shit, what am I going to do? Um, and I was like, I need to, I need to lay down my bike, but so I, we're descending the mountain. So as I go to lay my bike down, like I'm on the outer side of the road. Right. Um, and I'm so close to just sliding out. Um, and I slam my brakes cause I'm running out of room. And as soon as I slam my brakes, my bike goes straight up. Um, and I end up seeing the, I see the guardrail coming at me really quick and I say, fuck, this is going to hurt. And then I black out, um, and I ended up waking up when I hit the ground. So the friends that were driving behind me on their bikes, they were like, yeah, you went up like about 25 feet. And then you went down about 45 feet. We couldn't see you anymore. So they ended up jumping down um, the mountain to come find me because it was like a 400 foot drop off. But um, bushes caught me and stopped me from going the full 400. And uh, fortunately, there was also a nurse driving in a car behind all of us. So she came down, too. So, um when I woke up on the ground, I was like a uh, face down 
on the dirt and the bushes and stuff. And, you know, all I could think in my head was that like, this is a nightmare. And I go to get up and my friends were like, do not move. And I was like, oh, okay. So I go back down uh, to the ground and uh, it was just a very strange feeling. Cause it, the nurse was saying, just, just keep her awake. And they were telling me how, you know, the, the ambulance is on their way. Uh, they're not going to try and life flight me cause it would take too long. Um, so they're trying to keep me awake. And at that time I just, uh, you know, start to get really tired and, uh, throughout my life, like doing stuff like bodyboarding, um, during like hurricanes or whatever, like I've had a lot of like, you know, sort of like near death experiences. I was like, Oh, I'm going to drown. Like those kind of little feelings, but it had nothing compared to this feeling where I'm like, I'm really dying right now. Like, I have tunnel vision like that. It, that was like a movie, like everything just got far away and like pinholes. Um, and then I just got so tired. And uh, that's when I told uh, the people around me that if they don't hurry, if they don't hurry, um, I'm not going to make it. Um, so they're trying to talk to me, trying to keep me awake. And then the uh, paramedics, they come down. Um, and so I'm still face down uh, on the dirt and they, go to roll me over onto the board so they can take me up uh, the mountainside. And as they roll me over, all you could hear were my ribs snapping. Um, and the paramedic, was, he said, shit. And then I'm just thinking in my head, that would really hurt if I could feel it. Um, but I couldn't feel anything besides, you know, the dirt that was uh, touching my face or like the bushes when I was laying face down. So they get me on the board, they secure me on it, and uh, they're trying to pull me up the side of the mountain. And during that time, uh, I can't breathe anymore. So they have an oxygen mask on me and I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I could move my right arm. So I kept trying to pull it off uh, and they would keep putting it back. And then after that, I can't, I can't remember. Uh, they said I was still conscious, but I just, whatever they gave me, I was just out of it. So they ended up taking me to the hospital hospital. Um, and, uh, so apparently when you're taken to the hospital with the ambulance, they, they rank you on like a scale from zero to 10, like zero, meaning they pick you up. You're fine. You're still alive when you get to the hospital, 10, meaning, you know, you didn't make it. And then, uh, they put me as a nine. So I was alive when they picked me up, but as good as dead when I got to the hospital. So when I get into the, o the OR, uh, I was in there for 12 hours and my injuries included a fractured neck at C6, um, fractured left humerus, um, fractured, uh, right, uh, tib fib. Like it was smashed pretty much from hitting the guardrail. And I had broken all my ribs, uh, collapsed both my lungs, my spleen ruptured. Um, so I had a lot of internal bleeding. So, during those 12 hours, I ended up coding twice. So I flatlined twice. Um, so they had to resuscitate me. Um, but I ended up making it through. But from from those two codes, like I had a lack of oxygen going to my brain. So I had a, a mild brain injury uh, secondary to that lack of oxygen. But ultimately, I make it out of the operating room. And uh, I, I'm awake when I come out. Um, so, but I have all, you know, tubes coming out of me. And, uh, so I was so fragile 
uh, my vitals kept on dropping that they had to put me into a drug induced coma. Um, so my body could really try to focus on healing itself. So I ended up being in that coma for five weeks total. Um, and during that time, um, Things were pretty, they weren't going very well. Um, I ended up getting ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome of your lungs. So, what that pretty much is, uh, it's you're drowning in your lungs pretty much. So, I had uh, six chest tubes. Um, then, uh, since I was on a ventilator, they ended up getting me, uh, uh, giving me a tracheostomy. So, um, I was breathing out of a tube from my neck. Um, and, you know, during this whole time, and I'm in a coma and they're trying to save my leg. Um, so they have like this, like all kinds of metal coming out of it, trying to hold it together. Um, and it just got to the point where, you know, my body was pretty much trying to fix my leg instead of my lungs. Like they could never really clean my leg out very well um, because of how fragile I was um, at that time. And so eventually... I got gangrene infection in my knee and uh, apparently my foot turned black and um, just my body was really trying to focus on that instead of healing my lungs. So it got to the point where they're like, we had to amputate her leg, um, but they didn't like wake me up to tell me this or anything. It just ended up happening because they, they talked to my family and they said, whatever it takes, just like keep her alive. Um, so once they amputated my leg on August 15th, um, I started getting better uh, really quickly. So they were able to uh, take me out of the coma. Um, so, but I still have that, I'm still breathing out of that tube in my neck, so I can't talk. And pretty much from being in a coma for five weeks, I can't move. Um, like I can move like my right arm a bit, my left arm just wouldn't move. So I ended up um, the injury that I sustained on that side was, um, a left, uh, brachial plexus, uh, injury. So I couldn't move or feel my left arm at all from my shoulder down. Um, so I couldn't sit up. I couldn't talk. I was still on all these drugs. Uh, and no one has told me that my leg's gone at this time. And, um, I can't sit up to see it. So, um, you know, they didn't want to tell me either until I could talk again. The doctors didn't want to tell me until I could talk. Uh, but I ended up figuring it out because um, I, I could feel I could feel my leg. I, it felt like it was bent at the knee going through my bed and then twisted around. And I was like, that is not possible in my head. But I'm really doped up. So I'm just going to let it go for a little bit. Um, but then it just, it just kept on nagging at me and I ended up getting a, a friend to tell me by like putting their hand on my left leg and sort of moving it up and down and then just hitting their hand to my right leg. Um, and that's when they ended up telling me that they had to take it off. So it was a friend who told you? Yes. Yeah. And do, do you remember, I mean, it, it sounds like there was, uh, you know, pain meds and other things going on. Do you have a really clear memory of that conversation? Yes. Oh, and do you remember like what your first thought was? Um, I was very angry, uh, very sad, very angry, uh, scared. I, I was crying. Um, it was just, you know, I'm 19 years old. I can barely move. Uh, I can't talk. 
and my leg's gone. Um, so I pretty much was like, my life is like over. Um, and I was mad because I didn't have a choice in this. Like no one asked me if that's what I would have chosen. Um, and I didn't know amputees at the time. Like this is 14, almost 15 years ago. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, amputees weren't really in the media. You couldn't see them like you see them now. So I was like, yeah, I, I can't do anything anymore. I can't, I, I didn't even know if I could walk again or anything. Um, because of, you know, of how I was at that moment. So I was definitely devastated. Um, that's for sure. What was the recovery process like from there? You know, more, I mean, obviously I'm sure it was a long thing physically, but I'm curious like mentally and emotionally what it was like from that point on. So physically, you know, physically it's interesting because for me, I can see what's going on. Like I can see that my leg's gone. I could see that my arm wasn't working, um, but I could see progress, right? I, I was seeing that I could, I was getting stronger and I would be able to like sit up and, you know, I was progressing through rehab and physical therapy and occupational therapy and all that. Mentally, that was definitely the hardest um, because you can't see it. And, you know, you have all these, you have your inner voice just going constantly um, and around in circles and just, it was pretty, it was very negative at that time. And uh, for me, once I got out of um, the hospital and rehab and I was back at home and facing society again and like a life that's completely different and, you know, in a body that's completely different. Um, I got to the point where I was just like, if I don't go to talk with someone, I'm in trouble. Like I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble. So I ended up going to therapy uh, and there was definitely the best thing that I could have ever done for myself. Um, and, you know, looking back on it, uh, you know, this accident was like devastating and all that stuff, but we, we definitely went back in time to like, um, growing up as a kid and the, the things that I went through as a kid and, uh, the mental abuse that I went through then. And I just was able to talk through that and develop coping skills, um, and it was definitely um, very eye-opening um, and refreshing to be able to learn those skills and uh, just evaluate my life in a different way, um, in a more healthy and uh, you know realistic kind of way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, I still have my good and my bad days now, but now I definitely have the tools to get through it, and that's uh, you know, I really attribute that to. Um, going through my crash and having to go to therapy to really uh, get things in line again. Shout out to therapy. I'm a huge fan of therapy. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I yeah. definitely love it. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I feel like <laughs> so many sentences are like, well, my therapist, Jessica says, everyone's like, we know, we know you're in therapy. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's funny. Um, so you mentioned that your sort of one of your first thoughts was more of despair. Oh my gosh, my life is over. What's my life going to look like? When did that start to turn around where you felt a more positive outlook? Uh, so while I was in the hospital, um, I was just seeing, um, a few of my close friends that just kept coming back and, um, and just like, 
you know, really believing in me. And, uh, you know, I didn't have health insurance at this time. Um, my one friend like researched it all, got me on health insurance, uh, and, uh, just was really, you know, there for me and believing in me and just like, you know, believing me in a way that, um, whichever way I decided to go, they were there for me. And, um, they gave me that space. It was like this sort of loving support that I've never felt in my life. So, uh, seeing that, that, that gave me like, um, that gave me the decision right there, like pretty much. Cause uh, like I had two decisions, I, I like choices in my brain. I was like, I could either stop and like not keep going, um, you know, and, you know, kill myself or whatever, or be put in everything I got and like really try, um, and see what happens. Um, so, you know, looking and seeing those friends around me and, um, seeing the love that they had for me, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. Um, so that's where that came from. It came from in the hospital, which I'm fortunate that it happened there because, um, you know, that really set me on a line to keep progressing. I mean, I had, you know, um, my bad days again, where I really like questioned everything, but, um, I could always fall back to that one decision that I made in the hospital, um, being like, I made that decision. So I'm going to stick to it and do whatever I have to to make it possible to, uh, get my life in order again. Yeah. I feel like that's a really beautifully honest answer. It's the kind of stuff that sometimes we don't want to talk about of the, like, yeah, I was at the moment of, um, is this the life that I want? Am I going to continue doing this? And like you said, that it is a choice to make. And that even though after you make that choice, that doesn't mean that, okay, well, everything's hearts and stars and unicorns from now on. Right. Like, I think sometimes there's this myth of, I don't know, progress as like a linear, okay, well then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and it gets better. And that's, I think, not really realistic. Sometimes it is like the two steps forward, nine steps back. And just because you've made the decision that, okay, yeah, I am going to try. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to give up. That doesn't mean that some days aren't the worst. And I think that's true for a lot of people in a lot of situations. Totally, totally. Like I thought my life was like some sick joke. (laughs) That's for sure. Especially when I would have those like bad days. I'm like, yeah, give me a break here. (laughs) Like, this is ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah, you know, just, just for me, reminding myself that I made that choice. And, you know, I just, this is what I have now. This is my life. I'm just gonna, you know, keep going for it. And especially with those people that were like, just there um, to support and just, just being there um, really gave me the strength to keep going. I've been thinking about this lately about sort of the power of the family that we choose for ourselves, right? And, you know, it's great when people's family of origin is everything that they want it to be. And oftentimes that's not the case. And I know hearing you talk about, especially the friends that were there for you, uh, it makes me, I'm trying to think, what's the question that I want to ask? I guess like if you can talk about sort of what you learned about how we can like love and support one another? Like how did going through this experience change who you are as a friend or who, who you are for the people that you love? Uh, how did it change? I just, I realized more that, you know, just to be able to listen um, to my friends, like uh, my, my uh, 
automatic like default that I would typically do is try to fix things or give them advice um, or tell them what they should do. Um, and going through this, I was like, that some people just need you to be there and just listen to them. Um, they're not asking you to fix their problems or anything. And that's what I feel like, um, you know, two of my friends that were really there for me, that's what, that's what they did for me. They're like, we're, we're like, we're here and we're here to listen to you and we will help you if you want us to help you. Um, but we're here to listen to you. And I think that's, that's what I really needed. Um, and that's what I've, uh, you know, told myself that I want to do for my friends. It's just, you know, just be there for them. Just listen. Um, yeah, be able to be present and hold space for them and not try to fix everything. That's, I mean, you can't see this. I'm nodding. That's very relatable. I feel like it often comes from a good place. Like someone that you love is in pain and you want to do anything that you can to help. And yet that like impulse to try to fix things or change things isn't necessarily always like the most welcome thing that there is something powerful in sort of the vulnerability of just being there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I've heard you say, I'm not sure if it was on Instagram or somewhere else. Um, you said, if I could only give one piece of advice to an amputee, it would be never settle. Can you talk more about what you mean by that? Oh, man. Um, so what did I mean by that? Uh, so the process, well, it really depends on the process. But um, when you become an amputee, um, especially if it's a traumatic situation, um, you know, you're going into a whole new world that you probably have no understanding of whatsoever and the process of it all. So you're in the hospital and, um, a prosthetist, a prosthetist is, um, someone who deals with making, um, your prosthetic socket. The prosthetic socket is what your, uh, residual limb and ends up going into. So it attaches to the rest of you. Um, and they also do alignment for the components that are being put onto the socket so you can walk. Um, so that's what a prosthetist is. So they typically come in and see you, um, at the hospital. So they're coming to see you right after something very, traumatic happens to you and you're very vulnerable in the state. And uh, a lot of people end up thinking that uh, that person that comes in um, is your person and you can't leave them. Like you, you, you feel like you owe them something because um, they've been through like been through it all with you, I guess, from that first beginning stage. Um, but that's not true. And a lot of times, uh, you know, in order to find someone, a prosthetist that is able to work with you and is good for you and is able to make you like the appropriate socket for your needs, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to go to several, um, not just one. But a lot of people end up staying with that one. And it's just like this, this, I don't, it is such a weird feeling. It feels like, um, I've had a lot of, I've had people, prosthetists make me feel like it's my fault that the leg's not fitting me, um, like playing the blame game. And, you know, just going through that period in your life, that really hard period of, of your life, you're so vulnerable and it is so e easily can believe that. Um, and so for me saying never settle, like it's just, trying to empower people to be like, you have options. You for sure have options. Um, 
And, you know, with health insurance, you know, they they pay for other people as long as they're like in network or whatever. But you have a right um, to go seek someone else out if your needs are not being met. Um, You don't owe this person anything. Yeah, I love that. This idea of not only is it okay, but that it's necessary to be your own advocate. Definitely, definitely. And it's it's, because it's like being an amputee, it's like, you know, we all go through our pain and discomfort. It's almost like the name of the game, but there's a line, you know, there's a line between like, you know, something that, you know, is um, um, acceptable, like discomfort to full blown out pain that will affect your quality of life overall and hinder you from, you know, really meeting your potential. So, um, that's what I mean by don't settle. Yeah, I mean, and it must be particularly hard too, because like you said, it's especially in a traumatic situation, the everything is new to you. So you don't really have a, a good gauge on what is a normal amount of discomfort and what's not, right? And if you're only hearing from one person that you just, it's easy to assume, okay, well, whatever this person is telling me is true. And that might be the case, but it also might not be the case. Yeah, yeah. So you're putting so much trust in this one person. So then it's almost like you've already put all this trust in one person, it seems so daunting to leave and start all over again. I mean, it's with any relationship, especially with this, because it's so this is such a sensitive, vulnerable kind of thing, like being fitted for a prosthesis. It's a very close kind of you know, relationship, you know, they know a lot about you as far as your leg and everything. So um, just, yeah, trying to trying to tell people that, you, you know, you have so many other options, you just have to, you know, give it a go, mm-hmm. just believe in yourself and empower yourself and, you know, just seek someone else out and advice from other people. Yeah, I love that. Um, so you mentioned before that obviously, even still now you have tough days and that you're grateful that you have sort of coping mechanisms and tools and stuff learned in therapy. When you say that, like when you're having, you know, whatever quote, a tough day is now, what does that look like for you? What's sort of the challenge or struggle that comes up the most? Um, like if something goes wrong with, uh, with like my prosthesis, like with the socket or whatever, or something breaks, um, and like just, uh, in general, the fitting process for a prosthesis, it, it's hard, especially for an above knee amputee. Um, it's very different, um, compared to like a below knee amputee. Um, so I like for my last socket, my last socket took so long. I just, I had to switch everything. Cause just, um, so there's different methods, um, to have your socket made like different ways to put it on and everything. So I had one method that I used for like nine years and then all of a sudden I, my leg, just, my body couldn't take it anymore. So I had to completely switch to a new method. So having to like switch, that was very, that was definitely a trying period because I'm like, crap, what is, what is going on? Like, cause it hurts so much. So w- going through that pain and like discomfort, is just like, that was just really hard for me to wrap my, it, it's just always hard when you're going through that much, much discomfort. But, you know, I was able to, you know, break it down um, and draw on my past experiences to be like, no, this is, this is okay. Like I, I, I have these options um, to move forward. Um, and I could, could justify where I, I was more, I was able to pinpoint where it was coming from, um, and deal with the issue. So as far as my leg, that was, that, that's definitely a down period, but I was able to get through that. Um, and then as far as like, 
mentally, I mean, my mind still, the mind is just crazy, like what it can say over and over. Um, you know, so I still go back to therapy for like, um, checkups or whatever, just the, just like, the, a, like a therapy tune up. Yeah. I'm familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So those are, those are things that just help me get through those, um, down days that I have. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's just like, even with, um, you know, social media and being, and having that platform, um, just like, uh, sometimes second guessing myself on what I'm saying. Um, I don't know if you go through that. Um, but yeah, being able to talk that out in my mind and, um, justify it or, you know, reason through it. Um, those are some of the harder days that I have, I guess. Yeah. I'm curious about that, about social media. So when you say second guessing yourself, what do you mean? Do you mean like, whether or not it's going to be well received, whether you're saying what you want to be saying, what do you mean? Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's see, where can I, I can give an example of, uh, like the world championships. Um, so I won the world championships last year, uh, in surfing, um, in my division. So, but before that competition, two days before, it was announced that women wouldn't receive points towards their team. Um, so this is, this probably gets a little complicated because the way the world championships work for, um, for, uh, international surfing association, it's like, um, a team sport, but you can also get individual medals. So in your individual, um, divisions, you earn points based on your performance and that goes towards your team um, to see if they can get onto the podium. Right. Um, so two days before the competition started, they announced that women would not have the right to, they would not earn points towards, uh, towards the team. So that was just like a punch in the gut for me. Um, and as far as second guessing myself, I'm like, how far do I take this? Like, how much do I say? Sure. Uh, Yeah. Because there's so many levels to it. Um, I think something definitely needs to be said. Uh, but then other people, they also think like, oh, you know, we're adaptive. We're, you know, we have disabilities. This is the first time we're really in the spotlight here. Like, don't mess up that chance, (laughs) you know? So it's second guessing myself on how much I should say, or if I should say anything. Um, but I was able to reason through that. And as far as me saying something, I, I, I just feel like, uh, through the last like year or a little longer, I finally, I feel like I'm finding my voice and I I do feel that it is important to say something because as far as my opinion, like I I wish that I had someone that spoke for me um, and stood up for me growing up um, in the situations that I was in. So I sort of feel, you know, I sort of, um, Oh, it, I guess I have, I have a platform. I have a voice. I'm fortunate enough to have that. So to be able to say something and, you know, back people up or, um, whatever, I I feel that's important. So that's Mm -hmm. how I got through that. Yeah. So I want to talk about the surfing evolution a little bit, because obviously you just mentioned, you know, being, I don't know what the right terminology is winning, like, because you were the first ever women's world adaptive surfing champion, right? So like, that's a huge deal. Congratulations. (laughs) So going back, so obviously, you told a little bit about, you know, when your friends took you out surfing for the very first time, like, I'm interested in the like, from point A to point B or from point A to point Z, like, what was it like to be 
a beginner and then where along the way were you like, wait, I'm actually really good at this. Like, I want to see how far I can take this. Mm, Good question. So let's see. Um, so I picked up surfing relatively quickly. Um, I don't, I don't know, just because I guess my past experiences with wave knowledge and like board sports and whatnot. Um, but it was always something that was, uh, you know, uh, just like a fun thing for me, a challenging thing. Cause uh, like being, uh, being an amputee, I was really in search for something that I could really, you know, make me sweat and make me like exert myself, um, without like causing too much pain or discomfort or whatnot. Um, and surfing was definitely that. Um, so it was definitely a, a thing that was pretty much like it's something that's like everything to me. It's, it's, it's my exercises, uh, my meditation, it's, you know, everything. Um, so I was just doing it for fun for a while. And the, uh, my ex, she was, um, a professional surfer. Um, so I went to a lot of, uh, competitions that she, that she went to. And then, um, those people throwing those competitions were like, Hey, why don't you do like expression sessions or whatever, like be in this with us. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. So like I've been to France and Costa Rica and stuff like that. And I've been able to surf and little things like that. Uh, well not little, they were for like world championships for longboarding and stuff. But so we went to Hawaii, uh, to Oahu during, um, the Duke surf festival in, uh, 2010, um, and as I was coming out of the water, just from surfing there, um, some woman ran up to me and she's like, oh, we're having an adaptive surf competition. You want to be in it? And I had never heard of something like this. So I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, and I did well in it. Um, so I got third against the guys. I was the only girl um, competing in it. Um, so from there, I was like, OK, like this is cool. Like I'm down to compete. But, you know, I'm. I'm going into my doctorate for physical therapy. So I'm like that, that all has to like be put off. Um, like what's most important to me is my, my, uh, career right now, my getting my degree and, uh, whatever time I have, I'm going to surf for me for pleasure. Uh, so once I, once I graduated, um, I had this time, I had a career now and I had time, um, to compete. So that was when they were having the first, uh, world championships for adaptive surfing. Um, and I was invited to go compete and I did well. Um, and again, like I'm surfing against the guys, there was no female divisions. Uh, so that just pretty much started everything. Um, then I started competing in, you know, regionals and, um, in the U S championships. And, uh, I've been in on team USA for the world championships, uh, for the last three years. And so was that all mixed gender competition? Like you were the only woman competing? Yeah. So in order to have a full blown female division, you need, um, at least, I believe it's at least, uh, five females. Um, they, some of, some of the competitions, they're cool with doing it with three, but there was never enough, you know, uh, until this past year, um, in 2017 when I won the female one. Uh, but besides that, yes, I compete against the men. Even last year, I still competed against the men because I qualified because, um, 
the way you qualify to get onto Team USA to compete in the World Championships is that you compete in your your nationals, um, your USA Championships. So I competed against the guys in the USA Championships. I got second, um, so that got me on uh, Team USA to compete in the mixed gender division and to compete in my female division. Got it. Okay. This might be a silly question, but how is surfing scored? Um, it's, uh, so it's based, it's, it has several judges. Um, so sort of subjective, but it's, uh, of the speed, um, uh, the power, um, and the maneuvers. Okay. Okay. And then like they each score you. Yes. So, yeah. So kind of like gymnastics. I guess so. I don't know how gymnastics is going. Okay, I, yeah, all I know is that there's like multiple judges in different categories. Look, listen to me. I've not, I don't know anything about gymnastics either. <laughs> so I, I just like, but I, I guess it, it dinged for me when you said like it's sort of subjective and sort of not, which I feel like falls into that category. Totally. Okay. Were you always competitive? Like, was that a part of your childhood, or do, or I guess like, do you even feel like you're a really competitive person now? Um, I feel well. I wasn't com- well. Okay, so growing up. I did not compete uh, in anything. People wanted me to compete in bodyboarding, but um, I I didn't I didn't believe in myself in that kind of way. Um, yeah, I just didn't. Um, I guess I yeah I didn't believe in myself to compete in that way, and I didn't want to put myself out like that, so I didn't do it. Um, and then you know, I feel after my crash and rehab and therapy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, then I was willing to put myself out there like that. Um, and I, I have, and I realize I have always had this sort of drive. It's just, I just didn't believe in myself like that when I was younger, um, or had the support in that kind of way. So now, uh, yeah, I'm competitive. I'm definitely competitive. Like I have that competitive feeling, um, and drive. Um, I feel like you have to, in order to, you know, be willing to do these competitions, you know, cause it's not, it's not always fun. You know, you get, when you're in a competition, you surf what's out there, um, unless there's absolutely no waves. But even if it's like stormy and huge, you're going out because you're expected to be able to surf whatever is handed to you at that time. And sometimes like the regional ones are only 15 minutes long. So that's like nothing. Right. Um, so you definitely have to have that drive and that, um, desire to put yourself out there like that. Yeah, I think that's really relatable. This sort of idea of this isn't exactly how you phrased it, but like not when you said not like willing to put yourself out there, not enjoying things that we're not good at or like not being willing to risk failure. I think that that's incredibly relatable in lots of different circumstances. And then you have to get to that point to be like, well, okay, like this might be an epic failure, but being willing to take that risk. Like I feel like that's the point where you push over and to be able to do something great. Totally. Definitely agree. And that crosses over to like me wanting to like, get my degree like I never wanted to go to college because I guess that sort of crosses over too. like I didn't believe in myself in that kind of way so you know developing the the mentality that no like I do believe in myself and like I'm gonna push um for that degree or that career or whatever like that lands me in the position where I am now where I was able to get my doctorate and I have a career in physical therapy and all that good stuff so yeah 
I mean, I think sort of one of the most powerful things I'm taking from what you're saying, it's, again, it's like so easy to look at it in a really black and white way of either I don't believe in myself. And so I'm not going to do things or I totally believe in myself. And then everything's awesome. Like that's like, I think that's also a little bit of a myth. Like you can decide that you're going to take risks and push yourself and do it. And also it can be really hard and it can be messy and it cannot always go according to plan. Like, and you can also still do it, right? Like, I think there's something in that space that I'm getting from what you're saying. Definitely. 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 It's a, it's a bumpy, windy, weird road (laughs) that you have to go down and it can take a really long time, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's possible. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. So what I guess surfing something that you love. Sure. So, uh, and it, you know, why do it competitively versus just for fun, especially because you do have a really fulfilling career and other things like what motivates you, like what drives you to compete in this sport? Sometimes I question it. No, <laughs> you're like, I have no idea. I get back to me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is a lot, but you know, Overall, I've been to a lot of different kind of like surf competitions for able-bodied, for adaptive, whatever. Going to an adaptive competition, surf competition, it's a whole different kind of feeling, especially like, you know, the world championships where, you know, all these different nations are coming together or like uh, that that same competition in Hawaii is still going on. And that's like the second largest um, adaptive surfing international competition. Um, so you're just having this gathering of all these people, um, that are adaptive. Um, and it's just this awesome feeling, um, to be around people that, you know, are like you, um, with differences or whatnot. And you can, you can bond with that. And it's just like, you know, every day, uh, I'm asked about my leg, um, you know, which is fine. I'm totally fine with talking about it. But, you know, going to these competitions and hanging out with these athletes and stuff, you know, the majority of them, I have no idea why they're an amputee or why they're in a chair or what's going on. Like, it's not even talked about because, you know, we're just people. We talk about surf or, you know, whatever else. Um, We don't talk about, you know, whatever disability we have. And it's just nice. It's refreshing. It's, um, I don't know. It's hard to describe that feeling. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I do it. And it's just like, uh, I also do a lot with mentoring for kids and stuff, getting into adaptive surfing. And it's just, uh, such a nice feeling to be able to do that. Like it just empowers them so much, like the kids and their parents. Um, and it's just getting them, you know, more information and giving them tips about the, their prosthesis or whatever. And they can come to me about whatever questions they have. Uh, and that's an awesome feeling. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just taking something that I'm so passionate about surfing and, you know, educating people, on things. It's just, um, really rewarding, I guess. I can imagine. Yeah. It's really nice to make people's, uh, you know, try to make that road a little less bumpy for people. Yeah. And I mean, especially when you're saying working with kids, like letting them know that they're not alone, right. They're not the only one that's gone through this. Totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. So what does training look like for you these days? Can you get into some of the details about that? What does it take? Uh, well, I surf a lot. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sure. That's awesome. (laughs) So, uh, fortunately, uh, with my job, I, I just work four tens at the hospital. So I have plenty of time to surf. 
Uh, and then I also cross train uh, with a personal trainer and she's a good friend and she's also um, a surfer and her wife is also a physical therapist that I went to school with. Um, so that's really awesome. She's pretty much a physical therapist, personal trainer. So <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, so yeah. And then just eating as healthy as possible. And you know, with competition, that's, that's a big mental game too. Um, so working on that in my free time too. Yeah, yeah, that's that was going to be my next question. I have a bunch of friends that are professional athletes, mostly in sort of like the track and running world. And I'm always really curious about the mental side of peak performance and sort of like tangible strategies. And I'm sure different stuff works for different folks. But like, how do you handle self doubt or fear? Or like, what does the mental side of that look like? Do you have any specific tactics that work well for you or um, anything in there that you want to speak about? Uh, so for me, I try to, so before the competition, like the day or two days before I try visualizing, uh, what I'm going to do. Um, I also, you know, I catch myself as soon as I'm having that self doubt and I try and I talk myself through it. Um, and, uh, what else do I do as far as my mental stuff? Like I, I, I make a routine. I'm very routine based. So I have to stick to a routine as far as, uh, you know, how I prepare for the competition and competition day. Um, so I like keeping to myself and just getting in that zone. Um, so yeah, those are pretty much the things that I do mentally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, similar to what I've heard from a lot of other people too. That's always nice too. And it's like, okay, these things work. Like maybe they're not the like sexiest tools ever, but it's like, if you do them, then they work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it, it's so hard like to, because for me, at least like doubt, Doubt in anything, that self-doubt, that talk in your head, it's just so powerful <laughs> that, you know, to be able to catch yourself and stop doing that, that's, that's a big job within itself. Mm -hmm. So, like, it sounds like a little thing, but it definitely is not as far as competitions, for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Tell me about the first competition that you ever won. Oh, I've never thought about that before. <laughs> the first one I ever won. Um, that was probably uh, the Western Surfing Association. So that's a regional competition. Um, so the way that competitive surfing works, you have your regionals, West Coast, like West Coast, uh, Western Surfing Association, uh, which is the West Coast uh, Surfing Championships. So I typically compete in four to six of those tour events. And, um, I believe, I don't, I don't even know that I don't really keep track. Is that weird? No, no, I mean, not, necess not necessarily. I'm just curious if that was like a strong memory for you of like, this was the first time that I won and it felt like, you know, X, whatever. No, well the, the biggest, so the one that I'll always remember where I won first was, uh, uh, the U S championships in 2016. Like that was, I'll never forget that. That's for sure. That was a big one for me. Okay. Um, so, so talk me through that day or like when you say that you'll never forget it, it was a big one. Like, what is that? What does that look like? What does that mean? What were you feeling? So when I went out, it was a pretty big day. Um, so I couldn't see what my competitions were, uh, the competitors were doing. So I was like, I'm pretty much, I feel like I'm screwed right now. Cause I fell on the first two waves. Um, I just didn't know what was going on. Um, so, and you couldn't really hear the announcers. So I didn't know the scores uh, and I was just, I just felt like I was behind for sure. And, uh, apparently I was, but, um, there was 30 seconds left on the clock and, um, just this wave was just there and I flipped around, uh, and I caught it and that ended up pushing me, 
into first place. Um, so that was just like, it, it was a buzzer beater and, uh, just everybody was super stoked. And I had a lot of friends on the beach and it was just like, it's just an awesome feeling, especially having like, uh, you know, the, the organizers come up and be like, that was a friggin' awesome, um, heat for sure. Like, uh, it was just really fun to give everybody a show. Yeah. I can imagine this mm-hmm. might seem like a really <laughs> strange question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What does it feel like to win like that? Like, meaning, I don't know, I've heard kind of like all different accounts of, you know, either it's not as good as I thought it would be, or it felt so good to do it when people that I loved were there, or it was validating of all the hard work I put in. Like, you hear so many different sort of like stories and perspectives on big success, especially something that, that someone's been working to for a while. For you, what did that feel like? Well, when I caught, after I caught that wave, I didn't know what happened. Like, I, I still didn't know if it pushed me. Um, into the winning spot. Um, but yeah, it was, it's just, I don't know. It's sort of, God, it's hard to explain. It's very, for me, it's, it was very fulfilling for me. Cause it's just like it, when you're competing in that final heat, you're really pushing yourself so hard, especially if um, there's good size waves. Um, and just to like, finally, see what all your training and preparation, um, has done for you. That is just like, just an amazing feeling. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, I could listen to you talk about this all day. It's like very interesting to me. Yeah. I'm like, how many surf competitions can I Google and watch online? Like, that sounds so fun. Yeah. For me, what was really cool. So one of the, one of the first, uh, regional competitions that I did, it was big. It was definitely big at the same spot where the USA champ and championships were held. And I couldn't even get out. Like it was so big and so consistent. Like, I mean, no one could go get out, but I was just like, I can't get out. Like, this is like ridiculous. Like how, why am I competing if I'm not even up the par? And that just really pushed me to, you know, start cross training and start, you know, really, surfing more with, um, that competitor mindset, um, and more aggressively. And so to be able to think about that competition compared to me winning the USA championships at that same spot, like with waves there, it was just like, it was cool. It It was definitely a really accomplished kind of feeling. Yeah, that's an incredible thing when you have a really tangible look at, hey, this is what I used to be able to do. And this is what I'm able to do now and to be able to see basically like the big gap between those two. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Do you have any surfing specific goals, like whether it's for this year for the future in general? Is there something where you're like, I want to, you know, whether it's like, I want to surf in this location, or I want to, you know, win this thing? What how does that look for you? Are you sort of a goal setting person? Uh. I am a goal setting person, but this year, as far as, uh, surfing, I think I just want to, I just want to have fun, you know, um, not put a lot of pressure on myself as far as competitions. Um, I, I just, right now I'm really enjoying, uh, trying different boards, different size boards, like different fin setups, just, um, just having fun with it. Um, and I think that's when I do my best too. Um, And like, I want to challenge myself by surfing like shorter boards too. Is that, can you say more about that? I don't really know what you mean by challenge yourself with that. Is that harder? I'm assuming. Yeah, it's way harder, especially for an above knee amputee who surfs with 
uh, prosthesis on. Because some people, some people that are above knee amputees, they don't surf with a leg on. Um, so they don't stand up, they kneel, but I stand up, right? So the shorter you go with the board and the more your leg hangs off the board, the harder it is for you to stand up, right? Got it, got it, yeah. Yeah, because there's no, so we all, so the the few of us that do stand um, with an above knee prosthesis, um, we make our own um, surf legs. So, uh, you know, I feel like there's a lot, lot of room to, you know, grow in that aspect as far as components, but pretty much the majority of legs are just like modified peg legs. So if you're going to pop up on a shorter board with your foot, like with your fake foot, that's hanging off of it, there's so many variables like, um, that it'll get caught on the edge. It's way hard. It's way easier to get your foot caught. And then it snags you up because the shorter you go on a board, um, it's the quicker you have to pop up because um, you're trying to catch a wave at a different, more critical time of the wave. Um, so if you get hung up in the back, then you're all over. You're you're gonna fall. Interesting. So when when you talk about this year, it's like it's it seems like you're approaching or like looking for different challenges, like not necessarily maybe like bigger competitions or something, but like some of these other challenges that are challenging for different reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I know that one of your missions is to advocate for equality in adaptive surfing. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, well, I touched on it with the with what happened with the females sure. uh, in the last world championship. So that's that's what I'm really pushing for, you know, because that that was sort of like I said, it was just it was a very bittersweet moment. Right. Um, because when I heard that, uh, before competition, I was like, whoa, wait, I'm like, that is not that, like, what's going on? Like who could possibly make this kind of decision? Like what, where, like, what time are we living? Like, it's just, it was just very strange. And, um, you know, with me end up ending up winning that it, it was just this bittersweet feeling where I was like, yeah, like I'm super stoked that there's you know, more females showing up and like, um, that we get like our own divisions and everything, but it's still, um, not equal. It was like, uh, it pretty much felt like, you know, are we like a pony show or something? And maybe that's negative, but, um, I just don't think it's necessary to ever bring inequality like that into any sort of competition. And I don't think there's any, um, real justification for that. Um, that could really, you know, make me feel better about it. Mm-hmm. So I just find it so important um, to have a conversation about that and see what we can do to fix it and not allow that to happen again. Yeah. Because, um, I, I mean, I don't know. It's hard, It's harder in general for, I, I in my opinion, it's harder in general for um, women because I just, I can... I can just, for me, I can, maybe it's easier for me to see it because I've faced so much like adversity, adversary in my life, but, um, the inequality as far as like being a female with a disability is just ridiculous to me. I don't know. And I would like to alleviate it. Yeah. So within the sport, what are like some specific things that you would love to see happen in this vein? Like if you could, you know, be like, change this, this, and that, you know, is there anything that comes to mind specifically? Uh, more visibility with women surfers, um, for sure. I think I think the big thing with inequality, like within the sport, is that we need more visibility. 
um, more, you know, um, encouragement, um, and just giving them more opportunity, uh, to get out, get out there, you know, um, from my own experiences, as far as being an amputee and, you know, wanting to get into sports and get into action sports, a lot of the things that I faced was just like pretty much telling me that I can't do it and they don't see me doing it. But then the like man next to me, who's the same age as me, you know, same, you know, disability or whatever is being pushed into sports. I'm like, what's the difference here? Um, so, so yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I totally, yeah, I think I'm, of course, there's no <laughs> right answer to that question. I'm just curious. It's good to hear what the specific changes are, you know, that you would like mm-hmm. to see. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the day that you decided to become a physical therapist. The day? Or you, if there was like a certain <laughs> thing, a conversation that led up to it, or like, what's your memory of being like, okay, I'm going to do this? Uh, so, you know, I never knew what a physical therapist was until I got a whole bunch of it after uh, my crash. Um, and, you know, getting out of the hospital, getting out of rehab, I was just pretty like what I just didn't know what to do with my life. Cause I pretty much lost, you know, everything. Um, so I was looking back upon like, uh, the whole crash and everything and looking at physical therapy, it's like, it, it gave, I feel like it gave me my independence back, um, and to see what those physical therapists did for me, I'm just like, I, I would love to be able to pay it forward. Um, and it seems like an amazing, rewarding career. Uh, so I started taking steps, like steps towards it and going to community college um, and getting my prereqs done. And, um, you know, and then I was still battling feelings of like, um, you know, not believing in myself and having like fear of success and like self-worth issues. Um, and I, w- I was going for an assistant role instead of an actual physical therapist because I saw that it required a doctorate. Um, and my friend was like, why aren't you going for physical therapy? Uh, not that there's anything wrong or anything about being an assistant. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And uh, But I did know. I just didn't uh, believe in myself in that way. Um, but you know, I was getting over those feelings and I said, screw it, I'm going for it. And, uh, I ended up getting my doctorate. Um, and then now I work at the same hospital that I was a patient at. Oh, wow. Okay. What's, what does that feel like to you? I mean, I'm assuming obviously you think about it all the time, but being able to like be there on the other side, what's that like? Uh, it's crazy. It's a, you know, I work with some of the same therapists that were, uh, my therapists and, uh, it was a trip because I ended up doing an internship there too. So I had my therapist that I was her patient. She was now my clinical instructor and now she's my, um, colleague. So it's, it's definitely an awesome feeling. Uh, and I'm like, crap, these people know more about me than I probably know about myself. I don't know how I feel about that, but that's funny. Like this, this is your adopted family at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I have so many feelings on it because it's just like, I, I have this huge amount of gratitude to them and what they did for me. Um, and, 
it's just an amazing feeling to be able to show them that what they did for me, I'm now here and I'm able to like pass it on, um, to other patients. And, uh, you know, as far as, uh, with me working with amputees now, um, that's a really awesome feeling for me too. And I, I think it's pretty awesome for the patient also. Cause it's like, for me, I, I mean, if my physical therapist that came in to see me for the first time, they, if they ended up also being an amputee, like that would have, I feel like that drastically would have affected my mental state. Cause you know, I would be like, dang, they're like, they're fully functioning. They're like, you know, have this career. Um, they look like they're doing great. That, that would just give me a lot of hope. And, um, uh, I feel like that I can give that to my patients now. And it's, it's just an awesome feeling. Yeah, because there's a difference between someone saying everything's going to be okay versus someone modeling it, right? And like representing it. Totally. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's funny, too, because you can't tell that I'm an amputee because I wear, you know, pants. Um, so, you know, to be able to be like, I think I do understand and be like, you want to see what I have? <laughs> yeah, right. Someone's like, someone's like, you have no idea what I'm going through. And you're like, hang on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then they're like, damn it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> get up. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. Um, what's been one of the most surprising or unexpected parts of this career path for you? Like, I assume there's always a difference between like expectation and reality and what you thought. But since, you know, going in this direction, what's been like, oh, that was surprising, or I didn't realize it was going to be like this or anything like that? Um, well, I think it's all surprising. Because um, this is definitely not where I planned my future to be or where I saw I would ever be like, um, yeah, I would have never, if you, if you told me like, you know, 15, 16 years ago that I would have my doctorate in physical therapy, I would be a world champion and I would have one leg and I'm married. I would have been like, you are smoking something. <laughs> Cause that's insane. Um, I, so all the time, like when I reflect, I'm just like, this is, you know, I, to me, I've really gone above, uh, what I thought I would ever achieve. And it's a, it's a beautiful feeling. Um, and for me, I'm just stoked to be able to finally feel like a, like I'm finding my voice and, um, it's just a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Hearing yeah. you talk, I feel like it's such a mix of, gratitude and humility but also like a hunger like oh if this is possible what else is possible right it's like that sweet spot in between where it's not like you're not satisfied but I don't know like that's the energy that I hear coming through and I think that's an awesome place to be yeah it definitely is it definitely is like that mentality has definitely helped me I feel like because I want to um I have a I guess I'm just curious um so I want to find like as many answers as I can to you know anything to all my questions. So I think that thirst for knowledge and stuff has really helped me um, with this whole process. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something really powerful about doing something that you didn't think you could do, even if that's on a small scale, like I think about my own life, that's how I feel about quitting drinking. That's how I feel about like, 
the first time I ran a half marathon, the first time I did a long distance hike, like these, whatever it is that you tell yourself is that's impossible. That's not for me. You know, I could never do that. I don't believe in myself enough, whatever the reasons or the experiences are. Then it's like every time you do something that you thought was impossible, it's kind of like this little crack forms where you're like, huh, well, if that thing that I thought was impossible is actually possible, what of these other things that I keep telling myself are impossible might actually be possible. Like it's kind of like one thing at a time, like the dominoes fall and you're able to sort of like change your perspective on like who you are and what you can do. Oh, for sure. For sure. Do you feel like you have, this is going to sound cheesier than I mean it, but like either like a motto or like a life philosophy, is there something that you feel like grounds you that you keep going back to? Well, it's pretty much what you said. Uh, So my thing is make it possible. So it's like, yeah, once you, once you find that crack, like you're saying, you know, you can make anything possible, then like everything opens to you. And it's like, it's just a matter of like adapting and finding what is needed to, you know, accomplish that. Um, And then everything is possible. Mm -hmm. Do you have a current, like impossible belief that you're like working towards? Or is there a thing where you're like, that would never be possible, but maybe I'm going to try like, what are your sort of like big pie in the sky dreams or ideas? Oh, man. (laughs) No pressure, right? No. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, now I don't think anything is really impossible. But I, I mean, my big thing that I want to do is uh, like uh, learn how to scuba dive. <laughs> so that's Ooh. like my, my like short term goal. But like I know it's possible because I've seen other people do it with one leg. So um, yeah, I don't I, think, I don't know. I would have to think upon that question. That's for sure. Scuba diving. Why scuba diving? Um, I love the ocean. I just I mean, really, every- you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, like, you never spend any time in the ocean, so I don't know why you would love it. <laughs> yeah, my love for the ocean is like on a whole nother level. So I want to be able to do like everything um, in it, I guess. I mean, I want to be able to, I want to scuba dive, I want to free dive. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's my home. So uh, I've always really wanted to do that. And, you know, go on trips and see different coral reefs while they're still around. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So you were talking before about, you know, finding your voice and having a platform and sharing your story. What do you want to be known for? Like not in a sort of like, how do you want to be remembered way? Not necessarily like that, but just in general, like what are you, I don't know, trying to do with your platform or yeah. Like what do you want to be known for? (laughs) Man. That's a hard one. What do I want to be known for? Uh, It's hard because I've never, I never thought I would have this platform. Yeah. So it's hard to wrap my mind around being like, what, what is the thing I want to be known for? Um, Because there's not just one thing. Like, I, I mean, I just really want, I just really want to be able to, you know, help people as much as I can. Um, you know, to just pay everything that was given to me back um, and pay it forward to the next generation and just, you know, just try to make it a little easier on people. Something that I have felt through, again, like sort of doing the deep dive into your your work and your story is this, I don't know, message of like pushing yourself from a joyful place. I don't know if that sounds strange, but like it's really clear, obviously, that you do challenge yourself and that you do go after hard things clearly. And yet I think that there's a way to do that. That feels like really 
aggressive. And then there's a way to do that. that It's just like very clear that you have a lot of joy for the things that you're doing. And I don't know, I think that that's a combination that isn't necessarily seen as often as I would like it to, but that comes through for me like so much when I'm like, you know, watching you speak or any of these videos or anything like that. Oh, that's nice. Um, So of everything that we've talked about, is there anything that you wanted to mention that we haven't gotten to or any stories that you wanted to share that haven't come up yet? I don't think so. We, we covered a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> we definitely did. Um, well, awesome. I mean, I guess then that's a good place that we can start to wrap up. The way that we end these episodes are with some totally random rapid fire questions. So each season, uh, the members of the Patreon community, the people who support and fund the podcast, sort of put forward questions that they want all eight guests of the season to answer. So I have seven totally random questions if you're down to answer some random questions. I am down. What's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast lately? Perfect bar. Oh, okay. I've never had one of those. The peanut butter one or well, well, my favorite one is the coconut peanut butter one. That sounds like a really good combination. <laughs> you could uh-huh. go wrong with coconut and peanut butter. It sounds so good. Super good. Super um, good. What's the one thought that gives you the most butterflies right now? Like when you think about it, you get all excited and tingly, maybe even a bit nervous. <laughs> uh well, surfing, <laughs> that, that always does it for me. Like surfing a new spot um, or getting a new surfboard. Okay. So this isn't one of the questions, but tangential to that question, if you could have complete all expense paid surf trip to anywhere in the world, where would you love to surf? Oh man, everywhere. <laughs> um, I would like to go to, uh, let's say South Africa. Ooh, okay. Anywhere in particular? I don't know anything about the surfing in South Africa. <laughs> um, I would love to go to uh, J-Bay. I love it. Does your wife surf too? Is that something you guys have in common? Well, <laughs> she tries. Um, she uh, So she's had a fear of the ocean, but she definitely, um, she'll go out there. She hasn't surfed this season at all, but she'll definitely go if we're in like Hawaii or if it's warm Uh, But she's more, she plays on the inside while I watch from afar on the outside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so she will be your cheerleader and beach person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's the role I would want to. She definitely has style. So like, it's hilarious because she like, if I videotape her or take a picture, like she's totally posing on the surfboard when she's up riding it. And then she looks at the wave that she's on and it's literally like two inches high. That's amazing. I also have a fear of the ocean, so that's relatable. Um, the next question, what's one belief or opinion that you've totally done a 180 on? Like something that you used to believe that you no longer do or vice versa, something you didn't believe that you now do? Oh, that I, I believe that I had that now I don't. Um, uh, that, uh, oh, man. Is this supposed to be rapid? No, it doesn't have to be at all. I know the rapid fire is a bit of a misnomer. It's my, I, I should come up with a better name, like weird amalgamation of questions that I didn't put, that my like audience chose that you can answer as long or short as you want. <laughs> Just rapid fire questions sounds easier. <laughs> okay, say the question again. Okay, um, what's one belief or opinion that you've done a total 180 on, something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Just like a belief that's changed for you. Well, that I would, I would never be able to surf. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Clearly that has done a 180 because you can't yeah, like surf. I, yeah, like I literally thought, and this seems to go through a lot of amputees' minds when they want to go surfing or whatever. I was like, I had nightmares. I was like, my 
my fake foot is going to get caught on kelp and I'm going to drown or like it's going to weigh me down or whatever. Like it's just all these like negative, like scary things that were going to happen, but none of them have happened. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, what's something that you are finding frustrating lately? Like one thing or area of your life that right now is a bit challenging. Um, that's a bit challenging for me right now. Um, I guess, man, how personal do you want to get? Hey, listen, it's Real Talk Radio. You can literally say or share anything you want. I'm, sh- I'm sure someone else has probably gone there in the last like 14 seasons. So don't worry. Yeah. I think I, I just feel like the race thing has been difficult, especially with, you know, what's going on with the, with politics and everything. And, um, I just feel like it's more, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I'm definitely more aware of it now. Um, we're aware of, you know, my color and, uh, you know, how I'm treated or the people around me are treated, um, it just seems to be way more at the forefront and that may be because of politics or, you know, me finding my voice or everything. Um, but that is definitely something that has been, um, very present on my mind. Yeah. I mean, from what you just said, I'm sure it's a combination of things, right? Like you said, like the, the time and what's going on sort of like a social and political level. And then that combining with personal stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so kind of a, a light question. What's one thing that you consider worth splurging on? Food. Always. I know. I feel like that's my answer, too. I'm like, I'm like, whatever the best food is, I want to eat it. I will you know, take all my money. Yeah. Always food. Always. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm pretty frugal. Like I said, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty frugal. But when it comes to like, going out to eat or that's my fun thing that I like to do and I'm willing to spend money on it. Yeah. I'm the same way. Um, so the next question is about books, um, which let's say, I don't know, two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Uh, so I can't remember why. I, I mean, I don't have the best memory, I feel. I mean, it's pretty good, but not that good. But as far as books, uh, I don't typically reread them. But uh, with the author, Douglas Kuplin, um, I, I read his uh, books like throughout like um, high school and uh, when I moved here. And just his books in general had a big impact on me. Um, just uh, it was more of a feeling. I just... Um, I just really enjoyed uh, the way he wrote um, and the stories that he told. Um, so one book that I always have in my mind, I can't even remember what it was completely about, but um, Girlfriend in a Coma was um, a really, really good book. Okay. I'm always looking for new book suggestions, which is kind of it's oh. asking this question is like, so like a gift and a curse for me. It's like my to read list is already so long. And then everything that guests mention, I'm like, Oh, well, got to read that too. So. Totally. Oh, and another good book is uh, that I just read was when breath be- uh, becomes air. Ugh, that's so, yeah. Yeah. You did. That was really good. That was good. That was yeah. fun to read too. Cause like of my like medical background. So mm-hmm. it was, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say fun, but it was a good book. Yeah, it was powerful and had I had a lot of feelings. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, So the last question, if you could leave our community of the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? One call to action. I mean, 
just don't believe that doubt, that self doubt that is going through your head when it happens. Like there's always a way, uh, to make things possible. Um, and you know, like we've been talking, I think one of the common things that we've been talking about throughout this, um, uh, I guess podcast, um, is, you know, the, you know, the road is never straight. I feel, um, it's never, um, you know, completely without its bumps and turns. Uh, but that's okay. Um, you just got to find a way to get through it and, uh, keep going forward. Yeah. Can you tell me that every day? I'm just gonna like replay this part of the conversation over and over. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like my, my daily Danny pep talk. Um, so two last things I wanted to ask you, um, maybe for someone who's never watched a surf championship or seen adaptive surfing, if they were to Google or like, I don't know, pull up on YouTube, is there anything that you would recommend? Like, Ooh, start here, watch this one. Oh, I know that's a really random question. It's totally selfish. Cause I'm like, what should I Google? What should I watch? <laughs> There's so much. Um, one of my favorite surfers to watch is uh, Joel Tudor. So you can pull him up and watch him. Uh, and as far as adaptive, adaptive surfing, there's not, there's more content out there, but there's not that much. Um, I mean, I would just try Googling, um, the world adaptive surfing championships. Um, and they have a bunch of, uh, you know, full on live streams or, or past live streams from the competitions, which is really fun to watch. Cause, uh, there's all different divisions. Um, there's blind, uh, division, there's a uh, like wave ski. It's, it's really cool to see all the different, um, abilities. Ooh, okay. I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> um, and then lastly, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Uh, Instagram is always the best I feel. Um, or you can go to my website, dannybert.com. Um, those are the best ways, uh, to get a hold of me. And yeah, I love hearing from people. So awesome. Um, well, yeah, I found you through Instagram. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Danny, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. That was fun. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Jess. Hi, Jess. Hey, Nicole. You ready for some uh, rapid-fire questions? Ready as I'll ever be, I guess, yeah. (laughs) Um, My favorite question first, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Oh, my God. Um, I was thinking about this before I got on because I could be semi-prepared, but um, okay, okay. Another fangirl thing. Do you know Jenna Kutcher? She's like a personality. She has a uh, podcast and she's on Instagram and she's a business person as well as a photographer. The name sounds familiar, but I don't think I'm familiar with her work. Yeah, I I just I heard her on another podcast and I just started. So I went down the rabbit hole of like all of her everything. (laughs) And like she teaches courses and she just I I really liked her style on her podcast and then I found her on Instagram and I was just like, oh my God, she's such, she just is body positivity. She, um, you know, she's really artistic. She uh, is just this warm and fuzzy, everything that she does and says and 
puts out there is just really warming and cheerful and inspiring. So I've been kind of in just following her lately and been really into everything that she's doing. Oh, I'll have to check her out. I'm always looking for fun new people to follow. So hmm, like it. Uh, if you could go back, let's say like five years and give yourself some advice, what would it be? What did five years ago Jess need to know? God. Five years ago, I only had one child. Um, so I think five years ago, Jess, this is what I, what I would tell myself today. What? No, but back, like if you could, yeah, if you could go back and tell your five years ago self something, what would, what would it be? Oh, um, just be here now. Be here now. Mm. I love that. The next question, when or in what situation do you feel most yourself? Like when you're totally in your zone and feeling like your truest self, what are you doing? Mm. Hanging out with close girlfriends and cooking food. Ooh, that's a good one. That sounds fun. <laughs> I, I would have to agree with that. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> um, what's one new thing that you would love to try this year? Ooh. Um, so it's spring in the summer. One new thing that I would love to try. Well, I'm looking to get better with my food photography. So that's something that is new to me. And that I would really like to try to put effort into and learn about. That sounds so fun. I love knowing what people's kind of hobbies and curiosities are. It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. The last question, what's something that you wish people were more open and honest about? Oh, my God. Same as you, sex and money. Always, all right? Day. <laughs> Literally sex all day long. <laughs> Let's just, can we just talk about that and only that ever. <laughs> ever. Um, okay, well, then get more specific. What's, like, within those huge topics, is there anything that you're, like, specifically, I want people to be more honest about X? Well, okay. Um, I mean, not that I need to know everybody's, like, dollar for dollar amount, but I do think that, like, people talking about, like, how they afford you know, so I have a lot of cousins and we're all pretty close, but I have one cousin who says, you know, for example, like money's so personal. Like, don't you think that that's personal? Like, I don't want to talk about my finances. And I'm like, yeah, but I mean, t- to her specifically, like she does well, they kind of, you know, have their like white picket fence and their jobs and their security and they have nice things and, you know, but like they don't make a ton of money. So I'm like, okay, explain that to me, you know, like what sort of, how do you break down your, you know, your wants and what you're doing now based on what you're, what today looks like and what you might be want six months from now and a year from now. And, you know, just a little bit more of like the breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I find that when people sort of explain that, then I, to me, I could never have that explained to me enough <laughs> because I feel like I'm just one of those people that I could learn a little bit more about money management. And I'm always like, I just want to absorb it all, all the time. Yeah. I feel that way too. Just like, I mean, I'm just obviously a curious person. I'm curious how people allocate their money and what they find worth splurging on and what they don't and, you know, how much is going into debt and where the money's coming from. Yeah. I think, I mean, I agree that it can be personal and obviously, you know, people share whatever level they're comfortable with, but I think that this shouldn't be as off limits as it is because like not talking about this kind of stuff is what leaves people feeling like sort of in the dark and clueless and like having that sort of like negative comparison stuff. Totally. And like the whole thing where it's like, you know, some people take huge financial risks or like what to you um, would be considered a risk and like how big of a risk would you take and how big of a, if I'm thinking about taking a financial risk, like what 
would that look like for me? And, you know, because in being an entrepreneur, like I'm always kind of curious, you know, like what is quote unquote worth it in terms of like where I'm going to spend my money and how I'm going to risk it. Right. So risk for return or reward. I'm just interested in sort of how that looks for different people and maybe based on that where I can learn and make sense for myself, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. (laughs) It's good. (laughs) Um, So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a small and powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share two things. First, why you decided to support the show. And then second, maybe your favorite thing about being in our community or the bonus content or just um, what you like the best. Well, okay. My, I had been thinking, it was one of those things where I had said to myself that I was going to support the show for a really long time. And then I finally just did because it's like, when it's like, stop saying they're going to do it (laughs) because, you know, to your point, when I think you talk about it sometimes in like in the beginning of the show where you say, you know, we all want to just support the things that we want to exist in the world kind of thing. And I think to myself, like, if you didn't do the show, like I would miss the show. (laughs) I look really look forward to the when you release the new seasons I binge on it kind of thing so you know and I it's like I run out of really quickly so I'm like I kind of can't wait for the next one to come along so I think like man if I didn't have that I'd be pretty bummed out so you know like I I everybody likes to feel good and everybody likes to you know hear positive feedback from people and um, you know I really appreciate what you do and I want you to know that by supporting you so that was sort of like yeah I love that thanks so much you're welcome and have you you, have you had a favorite thing since you decided to join um I really like the bonus episodes for sure yeah those are fun to record I know it's fun to get past guests back for bonus episodes I've been thinking through the rest of the year of like ooh, who wants to come back and it's always really fun to have that like second conversation definitely and to the point tour it's like I like I said I binge on it so it's you know I'm I'm done pretty quickly and then those little bonuses are like okay cool I get a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) give you something in the meantime that's funny um So for everyone, for everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I honestly can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Maybe we can even record a future outro together like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.